0: Well, Aaron was kind enough to get my laptop functioning so I could get my notes. So that's that. Always makes you feel a little bit handicapped when an adult person like that, you get one of these kids to straighten out the laptop. Where do you smile? Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to, to bless this time. We have it. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us and for your mercy, for your grace, for the privilege we have to open the word. I pray that in spite of the limitations which are many of the speaker, that you would be pleased to bless the study and the reading and the application of your word. I pray that you would be superintending over this, that your spirit would be working, that you would commission him to challenge our hearts and lives in areas that need it, and that you would be honored and exalted and glorified as a result of our time here this morning. Those that may be listening by way of Zoom, I pray that this will not be a distraction, but would be also used of you in their hearts and in their lives. And I pray these things in my Savior's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, Paul is, is uh, writing Titus and he's encouraging Titus to establish leadership in the churches in Crete, to kind of set things in order and to see that things are functioning well. And uh, he is having the, the uh, leadership to exhort with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, to set things straight he's been dealing with people he's given kind of oversight with people divided up into groups like older men older women younger men younger women and just trying to to take the word and apply it to these lives and to these people in their various uh, conditions various situations Um, he has also been directing that by their lives that they would adorn by obedience to the word, that they would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect, that it would set the doctrine of our Lord and of His work in every respect. It set it in in a way of exalting it and making it clear. And uh, that's what we want. We want that in our lives as well. I I struggle with that as one of the I was just telling a person the other day that um I I don't want to have a religion, Um, I don't want to have a legalistic process of of going through the the right things to do and crossing the T's and dotting the I's in the proper way so that everything is kosher while I have no heart for God. I want to have a heart for the Lord. Uh, And I, I do struggle that to be honest with you i struggle with that because i i know how easily my heart can be led astray not theoretically but in practice it really can be led astray and and find other things attractive and be led astray and i don't want to do that and so those are important challenges to me and to my heart so as we come to the text here what what paul is doing to to titus is kind of going back to this salvation that exalts our god and savior and is just applying it first of all to deliver us from the penalty of sin and then from the power of sin and then from the presence of sin and then to kind of wrap it up by talking about the security of that position and so we've started out looking at this deliverance from the penalty of sin It's, it's bringing salvation to all men that begins in verse 11 in our text and i'm just going to read through as we go because we're not going to get real far but in verse 11 which we've already looked at paul writes to to titus and he says for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all men or to all mankind and that is a way of pointing out when he talks about the grace of god he's he's talking about the coming of Christ and the salvation that he has provided, and it's a a term that really kind of brings into sharp, clear focus the, the grace of the salvation that Christ brought when he came, that his coming was in mercy and in grace, and that he has come to provide a salvation that delivers his people from the penalty of their sin. We have all sinned. We know that. We know that we all stand guilty before God. And yet at the same time, we know that Christ came and went to the cross and died to pay for the sin of those that he's chosen, those that have come to him. And so this is a way of telling that God's grace has appeared, that is Christ coming. It has the idea of suddenly coming on the scene, bringing with that coming his salvation, which is available for all mankind, Faith saving us from the penalty of our sin. And then secondly, and this is kind of where we were last time we left off, secondly, um, his coming also came to deliver us from the power of sin in our lives. And that's verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Let me just slow down that. Verse 12 begins, and this is what we looked at last time, begins with saying that his coming is instructing us in our Christian walk to do some things. It's informing us, that idea that he uses there when he says instructing us, he's using a word that means to disciple or to educate. Um, It's the word from which we get the English word pedagogy which is the science of teaching or communicating. This word is means that God's, the salvation that God provides for us in his coming not only saves us from the, the penalty of our sin, but it's instructing us in our relationship with him to deny these things and to live certain ways. In other words, that is the salvation that he has provided affects our lives and affects how we live. It's not simply, that's why I was saying earlier, it's not simply a religion where we do certain things and we cross certain T's and dot certain I's and keep certain formulas and check off certain boxes and then we're fine. But it instructs us how to live and what to do because we have a relationship with this God. We want to adorn, we want our lives to adorn, to set Him apart, to exalt Him. And so this salvation has a powerful impact it nurtures another word you could use is it nurtures us and uh, so it affects our lives and it affects uh how we live and and uh, how we are to function i'm thinking of a passage that you're familiar with we've been studying in john in john chapter three uh jesus is talking about to Nicodemus in that area, and the verse that you're familiar with, John 3:16, 16. And uh, he's talking about that God sent his son. Who God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in that text, he says he didn't come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. He goes on to say that um, he has not believed, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, and here it is, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. That's a true statement. I find that's easy in our lives that we can can, uh, pursue the darkness, and the reason being is because the deeds are evil. Everyone who practices evil runs from or hates the light. It does not come to the light. But the one who loves the Lord comes to the light so that his deeds can be exposed that they are from God. And so this is, this is, uh, this is the case here that, that our salvation brings us to the light if we are real so that our deeds can be exposed and so that we can evaluate ourselves. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we have, we try to keep short, I don't know if this makes sense, but try to keep short accounts with the Lord. When we sin, when we do something that's displeasing to him and displeasing to us, we confess it and turn from it and try to have that fellowship, that walk with him restored. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's a, a very important thing and so we uh this is this is what he's he is um he is doing the salvation that he has provided we in our flesh as, as Paul says to the church of Ephesus we were dead in trespasses and sins but God uh, who is being rich in mercy when we were dead in trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ and so we were dead he came with the salvation and made us alive. And uh, then later on, he says, and now we are his workmanship. We are not, we're not a second class citizen or a afterthought or somebody who is turning over a resolution so that we can resolve to do better. We are his workmanship. And he uses a word that that means that we are created. It says we are created by God unto good works. So a believer is a new creation. That's what that's what Paul says in Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. And so this salvation that we are that God has provided for us changes us, makes us new, and now in our text as we see this as we see this instruction this education this discipling of us it takes two areas first of all there's a negative area and then there's a positive area the negative area is that this salvation um, instructs us or trains us or disciples us to deny something and the positive area is on the other hand it uh, it helps us to live in a certain way. Deny something and live for something, if you will, just to kind of get the verse. So let's look at those two things, and we'll kind of that'll kind of dominate most of our time, uh, what we have left. Deny means to say no to, uh, to turn away from, and that's what that he is saying here. That is, this salvation is instructing us to deny or say no. To ungodliness to turn away from that the idea of ungodliness um, is you could call it impious or ungodly or wickedness uh, it's it's uh, to be wicked means to neglect uh, the violation of our duty toward God to our neighbor uh, to those that we are responsible to but especially toward God we are impious irreverent um, That verse is used many places. Romans 1.18 is probably the classic, one of the classic texts that talks about God's wrath being poured down on sinners. And Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is revealed, that is, that God's wrath is is manifested or revealed from heaven against all, and here is the word, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In other words, the verses say that God is hot against unrighteousness and hot in anger against ungodliness. He doesn't like it and his wrath is poured out. When it says God's wrath is revealed from heaven, and I don't want to get bogged down on this, and I do that very easily, but it it could be speaking of how God's wrath has been poured down in obvious areas like in Sodom and Gomorrah when he poured the wrath down. On the sin, or there are times when he, in Revelation, talks about God's wrath is pouring out these big hundred-pound hailstones on people, or that there are times when he brought the wrath of God down in the flood and kill and people died, could be referring to that. But I think also it's just a way of saying we know the scriptures talks about the Lord who is above us. That the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the earth, and the, Jesus talked us to pray to our heaven, Father in, in the Father in heaven. And I think this verse is just is a way of saying that uh, we know from Scripture that the Lord uh, has poured His wrath down on sinful, ungodly behavior, and that it's not just talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's talking about, about many places as His wrath has been revealed to us as he's poured his right down from heaven on sin. And he takes it seriously. And we ought to take it seriously as well. We ought to take these verses seriously during the Desert Storm War, uh, which is a rather technically sophisticated war in which we had used missiles that could actually target windows in buildings. I don't know if you remember seeing that, but they would be laser-guided missiles. And they have these drones, and they could be a car going down the road that they knew was an al-qaeda or whatever uh criminal in that car and they could put that laser on that car and the missile would come down and hit that car and just blow it to smithereens but if you're riding along in that car and all of a sudden you see that laser uh, jumping around on the hood of your car the only thing I would suggest is you slam on brakes as quick as you can and get out and run for your life This is the same way. You see these verses here, and you see what God thinks about ungodliness. The best thing to do is to get it straight, because this is a dangerous place to be in. God does not like sin. He does not like ungodliness. He deals with it. And this verse tells us that uh, this salvation that God has provided is instructing us to deny ungodliness, to deny um, unpious behavior, if you will. First John, um, First John talks about these kinds of things. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It tells us that because it's it is a it's a strong it's a strong statement that if you love the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. If you pursue that, if you embrace that, it affects you like that, and you have, and you have to deal with it. So the word ungodly, and there there are other passages here. That I could refer to, Jude talks about ungodliness uh, in verse in Jude chapter one. there's only one chapter in Jude. Verse fifteen says, um, talking about uh, Enoch, who was the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, um, saying, "Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all." of the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them now just i know this is a rabbit trail and i know it's complicated but what jude is doing here in this passage is jude is quoting enoch and enoch lived before the flood and jude sitting way over here now in the new testament era is saying that this guy enoch who lived before the flood flood prophesied of the judgment that the lord was bringing at the second coming so he's he's looking a long way into the future in fact uh if, if you would go back at the beginning of jude jude identifies by saying certain certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who are long beforehand marked out for this condemnation he's talking about it opens up he said that the condemnation that god brings upon this kind of behavior this ungodly behavior has been prophesied long before and then he gives the illustration of enoch who is preaching about and presenting the behavior of the lord when he comes in in the end times to bring judgment and as he calls that judgment to convict all ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the human the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him because of them grumblers they're finding fault so on and so forth i'm not going to take the time because we don't have a lot of time to read it but the point is this that there has been a long history of recorded information in the scriptures about god's displeasure of ungodly behavior of impious impious behavior and the salvation that god brings to us teaches us to deny this, to deny ungodliness in our lives, to deny this kind of sinful activity in our lives. that how we live matters. It makes a difference. Uh, It matters, Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, to avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It's devastating, it's dangerous, and it's, it's harsh, and so just to avoid that, and that's the salvation that that God has provided that instructs us, disciples us, teaches us, encourages us to deny this kind of activity. He goes on to say, not only denying ungodliness, but also worldly desires, and we know worldly coming, repeat, give, give us a good study of that in the Gospel of John, Cosmos, which is usually of the world in this case in the world system of evil. Uh, Satan's the head of the fallen angels and their demons and their his emissaries and all of these are are unsav- unsaved or his servants and together they they uh with the pleasures, the pursuits and the practices, the purposes of their scheme, they lead people astray and they it's a complicated system. But this worldly system, this worldly passions is part of what we are to to deny, and that's what John says: "Love not the world, the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, what love of the Father is not in him?" That's just what we are to do. Let me give you one more verse, which is kind of a, then recently sort of a light verse for me, and that's Luke 9:23. Luke 9:23, very, very brief verse, but it says this: Jesus was saying to them all, "If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me." That word denying we know what it means to say no to but here he says if you want to follow me he has to deny himself that means you don't put yourself first you put him first that's not easy that's not the popular gospel that makes people feel comfortable that's a that's a gospel that that tells us that god is serious about wanting us to trust him to follow him to put him first if any one wishes to come after me, he says, he must deny himself. He must say no to himself. Then he must take up his cross. Um, that was when I was a new Christian. I used to have a lapel, a cross to put a lapel. I don't know why I did that. Maybe I'm trying to impress people. Didn't do it. again. didn't mean anything. It has nothing to do with spirituality. It's just something. A lapel, that could be a piece of whatever. Um, ...but I thought it was kind of neat, or whatever, and maybe that, people say he carried the cross. Maybe that's what it was. I, have, I don't remember, but I know you have one. But anyway, that's not what he's talking about. It has nothing to do with it. In the New Testament, if you saw a man walking through Palestine with a cross beam on his shoulders, you knew this man was condemned to die. And he was simply walking to the place of his execution. He has already been sentenced, found guilty, and is now going to die. What this verse is saying here is if you want to follow Jesus, you need to die to yourself. Is that easy? No, it's not. I struggle with that every single day. And yet the life of surrender, the life of obedience, is the real life. It's the full life. It's the life of of purpose. The life that's lived to indulge the flesh, to seek the pleasures of of the flesh, to, and it it does seem like, I mentioned the other day, it does seem like that God doesn't want us to have fun because he says all of these things you shouldn't do. But actually, it's not that he doesn't want us to have fun. He knows where these things lead. If you follow these things, we were talking about the other day, that sin deceives us and, and it makes us think that we are, we are fulfilling life when we're not, and all of a sudden we end up finding that at the end, once we have indulged these things and these things have gotten hold of us and we are enslaved to these things, we find out that sin will take us further than we want to go. It will leave us where we don't want to be and it will cost us more than we're willing to pay, but it's too late when, we, when these things have taken over our lives. They, they dominate and they will. And so, and I've seen that. Um, So, um, this passage says that if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross. One more word, daily. Every day. And you know what? You have to do that. You really have to do that. Every day you have to begin with the Lord. At least I find that's true for me. I have to begin with the Lord. I have to go to the scriptures. And I love the Psalms. We were reading the Psalms this morning. I love the Psalms because in the Psalms, I empathize with David who struggles with his heart and finds uh, even disappointment sometimes with the way God is doing things. And yet at the end, he rejoices because he knows God is doing what's best. He's good. He's merciful. He's gracious. He never makes a mistake. And the end result will create praise and honor and worship to the lord that's what i want in my life i want my life to honor and glorify and exalt jesus christ more than it honors me and my pleasure and my little and and i do have little things that i want to do and little indulgences i do have that and yet i i want my life to make the choice to honor christ and to put him first you understand that and i know That all of us are faced with that. And so here he says, in this passage Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's why I encourage everyone to take the scriptures seriously. Not for the sake of some kind of ritualistic thing, but reading the scriptures. And I, and I, I was talking with a person the other day, when you read the scriptures, don't read it just for information, but read it as God speaking to you and asking, What are you saying? What do I need to do? What does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about sin? What does it tell me about something I need to do? What do I need to do in my life? From the Lord and seek to hear from Him rather than just seeking to get information. Because just going through the ritualistic, like the Jews did, that they think that they, just reading the scriptures is going to bring them life. It isn't. It's reading the scriptures that will enable them to hear from God and to seek Him. That's really important. So th- this, uh, this, instruction teaches us to deny ungodliness as well as worldly desires that's the two negative things. Wow. the two positive things first of all teach us to live sensibly that word sensibly means soberly or prudently having a sound mind being in control over the issues of life um, life is like a, a discipline course maybe a, a, a sober opportunity of sober choices for growth and for uh, honoring Christ, and we have these choices and we want to make them, uh, the words that is, is uh, translated so often for um, this word sensibility here, that I, I, it could be translated and probably better translated sober-mindedness, and let me just give you Paul has really downloaded these things uh, on titus and also timothy has one in the first timothy 3 2 talks about an overseer this is the same word overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife temperate and here it is prudent which is actually the word that we can translate sober minded respectable hospitable so an elder among the things that are listed that should dominate his life is he should be sober-minded he should be thinking clearly he should be making choices based upon uh, the, the, the understanding of what is right, what biblical wisdom says. Same thing is true in Titus. There are four passages in Titus. Titus eight, the overseer, again, must be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, or sober-minded, just, devout, self control The elder should be sober-minded. Titus 2.2, another passage. Older men ought to be temperate, dignified, sober-minded sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Again, this idea of having a sound mind being sober-minded or sensible is used. Chapter two, verse five, older women are to encourage the younger women to be sensible. First thing on that verse, to be sensible, sober-minded, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God would not be dishonest. So that, that, that that's older women are to encourage the younger women, again, to be sober-minded. And then chapter 2, verse 6, likewise, urged the young men to be sober-minded. So this is a pretty important thing for him to mention it this many times to Titus, and Titus is speaking to people. And you know, of course, that sober-mindedness is not necessarily a glorious, displayed type of conduct that everybody... Uh, displays a lot of times we kind of go way off the strain extremes and people are doing crazy things and and their lives and you wonder why would they do that you shake your head and so they're not practicing sober-mindedness sober-mindedness the spirit brings it to us as we're reading the word you have you have wisdom in the scriptures be sober-minded uh to to think clearly and uh, so that's that's that and then not only sober-minded but righteously and the term righteous Relates to what is right. There are things that are wrong and there are things that are right. And if we practice the things that are right, the Bible says that we will be able to discern good from evil, right from wrong. If we don't practice it, we're going to lose that sensitivity and that discernment. And so Paul talks about, uh, right, we're talking about what's right. Paul talks about here in Ephesians 1. When he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, and here's the word, for this is right. Or you could translate that righteous, but this is right. And you know, a lot of times uh, we we condemn uh, maybe our parents for being too strict, or we condemn whatever, but the Bible says, obey your parents. Doesn't matter what you think. Unless they're telling you to do something that's that's absolutely contrary to Scripture, it's right to do that. It is proper. It is necessary. Matthew 13, 49 uh, uses this word, says it will be true at the end of the age that angels will come forth and take the wicked from among the righteous. There are those that are righteous, those that are are in the, the group of those that are right, and there's going to be a separation, a distinction between the two. So this is the word that's used here that is right that is upright that is just and uh, he's saying not only are we does the scripture instruct us to turn our back on ungodliness and worldly desires but rather to live sober-mindedly and righteously and then one more word and that is the word um godly it says that and godly means that which is pious is the opposite of ungodly being pious having a passion for the likeness of Christ. Um, maybe one verse that Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, you, you, Timothy, you you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, sufferings, things which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lister. So he's just li- li- listing these things and he would know back to these difficult times he had. The things, uh, the persecutions that I have endured, and out of them all, the Lord has rescued me. Then listen to how he summarizes it. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That verse uh, is a mm-hmm. strong verse. And that's the word, when he uses the idea of desire, he's saying there, here's a person who has come to Christ, and their desire and their passion is to live like Jesus, is to live like Paul, to have a heart. that is this, is. this is not the perfect life, but it's the life that is wanting to please God, and the life that wants to please God is running contrary to the world, contrary to the popular flow of thought. And so there is going to be, there will be ramifications, and there are gonna be, it may not be vocal, it may just be somebody walking away and shaking their head and saying, this guy's lost it or whatever, but there's going to be displeasure with the world Because the world is in opposite, is in opposition to the gospel and to the things that Christ has called us to do. And so he's to do that. So the text that we're looking at tells us here in this passage that the, the salvation that God has provided instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. Let me just... Want this out, we're done. The idea there, the word present age, aeon, refers to a space of time, and I think it's actually a space of time outside of time. We measure time in years and days and months, but the Lord seems to, from, from his perspective, view a lot of things in ages um, outside of time um sometimes this is translated in funny ways it's hard for us to see that but it seems to be um that there is this this span of existence that is established by god that's already limited in its extent it's a capsule of events and activities and things that he's doing and in governments and people and whatever and that this is a particular age that he has established, and it's not just years, but it contains years and it contains activities. Several verses which seem to point this out to me, Matthew 12, 32, just just for a few, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be given him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either, here it is, in this age or in the age to come. I don't know that that seems to be a period of time which probably includes the church age, but then he's saying that it's not only going to be that time, but in the age to come, there is going to be there's not going to be forgiven, they're going to be under judgment, which is a severe thing, but it's pretty heavy. and uh, it's it's um, it's a pretty severe thing. There's many places that talk about the age like that. matthew thirteen thirty nine. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the consummation of the age. And so there is this this span of events and things like that that have come about. And just at the end, God's going to do some things to bring this, this existence to a close. The same thing is true in Matthew 24, 3. He is sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. They knew it's not just a period, of, not just a year or whatever, but there is a period of events and some things that are established. And once these things are done and it's brought to God's consummation is going to be at the end of His this age and what it's going to be. They want to know what will be the sign of that. And... Uh, Hebrews tells us, this is, I thought it was fascinating. Hebrews 11, three, you know the verse, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared. The, way, the idea of worlds and it's plural is actually the same thing, the word age. And uh, the, we by faith we understand that the ages were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of the things which are visible. And I do think that he's talking about creation there, but I think he's talking about creation from the standpoint of his, his uh, bringing things to pass in ages it's uh, it's that the ages are coming about they're bringing his activity and his structure and his purposes his way he's in charge of that remember that we, when the bible talks about several passages I think peter talks about when we were saved before the foundation of the world it's actually the ages and it's the age the we were chosen uh, ages before the foundation of the world which it's really, when you think about it, it's a staggering thing for anyone to be able to do, when we can't even know, we don't, we're not able to provide what's going to, or predict what's going to happen next weekend. So this is, this is, um, this is interesting. Um, Matthew thirteen twenty three, the one who has, on whom the seed is sown among the thorns, this is the parable of the sower, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the, it says world, is actually the worry of this age, and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So that there is a sense in which this present age has some contamination in it that's different outside of that. That's why uh, in this realm here, things are pretty heavy and pretty drastic. But from God's perspective outside of heaven, when he looks down, he can see it from the standpoint of his holiness and his standard and his purity. And so the things of this world are kind of polluted. Um, they certainly are. Mark 9 to nineteen is another verse on the parable of the sword, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of riches uh, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But that's a that's a strong statement. Uh, the, the worries of this age, the the consuming issues of this age the things that dominate this age and are the motivating motivations maybe for us in this age are limited to this age they're not they're not those things that are outside the age my wife one of her favorite verses was say it was the lord in the matthew um, 33 16 33 uh, 6 33 seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first that. That's not a characteristic that is normal of this age, but it is a characteristic that transcends and tells us what to really seek after and what to really pursue. And that's important. Don't be conformed. Romans 12 says to this world or to this age, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the things that are acceptable and perfect. And then finally, um, two verses, First Timothy one seventeen, many of them. This, this 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 word appears a lot in the New Testament, but in First Timothy one seventeen, now to the King eternal, that's the word age. Now to the King of the age of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory. Two words, forever and ever. And in the Greek, the age, the word age appears both times. So it's the it's the sum of the two ages pulled together that it doesn't make sense in the English, but he's talking about the ages, some, the sum of the ages, and the one who is over that is the king of the ages. He is the one who is head of all, and uh, he is the master. Same thing is true in 1 Peter 5.11. To him uh, be dominion forever and ever. To him be dominion of the ages that are summed together. He's going to rule over and have dominion over those things. So the text that we are reading here, God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all men to pay for the penalty of sin and instructing us in our life now to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That's the negative and the positive aspect to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age that God has established. So that's a good statement. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for, I know we've kind of gone down a little bit of a rabbit trail, but these are important things uh, and it's good to know them, good to think about them and to kind of maybe jog our memory out of complacency to realize that the picture is bigger than we realize and that the, the costs are pretty significant. Help us to take you seriously and help us to take your word seriously and help us to take obedience to your word seriously and help us to really strive to please and honor and exalt you and make that motivation really forthright and dominating in our hearts and lives. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these dear people and I ask your blessing now for this week. And we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.